What is going on? Ray Woodson back for another week of Triple Zally Report. And I got to tell you, we've got two things going on right now in our household. We are stampeding into the holiday season like a band of angry Visigoths, while at the same time trying to move. See, we don't know how to do things the easy way, always the hardest route. So it's nice to take a break once a week and do this podcast. And and the thing I enjoy most about it is meeting people for one-on-one interviews. And this week's guest is at the top of my list. Former colleague Tom Tolbert has entertained Bay Area sports fans on the radio for two decades, interrupted by emergency heart surgery last year, as I'm sure you heard. And in case you were wondering how Tom is doing physically, Well, he was stringing up Christmas lights in front of his home with ELO blasting from the garage when I rolled up. And by the way, nothing says the holiday season like evil woman. In short, he's doing well. And you can chat with him about almost anything, animals, beer, sports. And we eventually got around to the Giants in our conversation. We talked about his short-lived baseball career, about possibly trading Madison Bumgarner, why Brandon Belt elicits so much emotion, what happens to Mike Trout next year, and... Will the Warriors be okay? Enjoy our conversation with Tom Tolbert. All right, the name of the podcast is Triple's Alley Report, so I thought, why not have an Angels fan on? So (laughs) so we've got uh, Tom Tolbert, who, as you know, hosts the afternoon show with John Lund on uh, the Giants flagship station KNBR in San Francisco. Tom, good to see you. Long time. How are you, Ray? I'm well. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's Christmas time, so it's busy time. Putting up lights. You caught me putting up lights and uh, listening to a little rock music. So I, I don't mind that. If it was the weekends and it was afternoon, I'd probably have a beer as well. But I figured, yeah, it's Monday. It's eleven. That's more to line. <laughs> well, last podcast I did, I was having a beer. So with the Eno Saros oh, yeah. over at the Rare Barrel, we we're having some sour beer, which I've never had before. So it's not out of bounds for this podcast, just to let you know. So if you want to go get a brew, go ahead. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> we're loosey-goosey around here. Where to begin uh, with the Giants? I don't know if I even want to begin with the Giants. But uh, in fact, I was, I'm going to ask you this first. Because I know you played football in school. Rumor has it you played basketball as well. Uh, how much baseball did you play? I played until I was a sophomore in in, college, or in high school. I mean, my freshman year, I was okay. Sophomore year, uh, didn't play a whole lot. Played some, and I, I just I, I couldn't pick up the ball. I just like I, I I stopped picking up the ball, and I, it is frustrating. I, I couldn't hit. I'd always been a really good hitter in little league. Uh, you know, good hitter, good pitcher. And then for whatever reason, I just stopped being able to pick up the ball. Well, I actually found out what that reason was. I was uh, uh, I was short-sighted or far-sighted. One of those sighted so you can't see. So I can't even tell you which one I was. Maybe both. I have no idea. But it was actually here in, in Oakland. We were, we were coming up here to see my aunt. And as we were walking through the airport, I think I was a yeah, it was about my June, early junior year, and I asked my mom, you know, how they have all those clocks at the airport where uh, different cities, whether it's Rome or Berlin or whatever. And I looked up there, I go, I go, what do those say? And she looked back at me, she goes, you're joking, right? I go, no, you can see that? She goes, yeah, everybody can see that. <laughs> so I said, so at that point, uh, it, it was it was glasses time, and I thought to myself, I was like, yeah, well, maybe that's why I can't see the ball anymore. I can't see. Period. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the curveball. It was no. it was every ball. Every ball was by me. All I would do is hear they hit the, uh, the catcher's mitt. 
I go, that probably wasn't good. I probably should have seen that, shouldn't I? I go, and it's kind of dangerous when I can't see the ball yeah. all that well. A so, little bit. Yeah, so we, uh, I played until I was uh, through my sophomore year, and then after that it was basketball. Okay. You got corrective lenses and so forth, but you didn't get back to baseball. No, I did not. Basketball was it at that point, and we did a lot of summer league stuff, although it wasn't like it is now. You know, you played basketball during basketball season, and then there was team activities during the summer. You had team summer league. I never played any AAU or anything like that. Uh, Maybe a camp or two. There was a Superstars basketball camp down in Santa Barbara, I believe, and then another camp that I went to. Uh, where they invited all the better players in the area to come to the camp. But that was it. I mean, that was it. It wasn't, you know, year-round stuff. But, yeah, I just – I was pretty much done with baseball after that. Didn't play football uh, in high school because the practices were – summer practices were at 6.30 in the morning, and I was like, no, I can't do that. (laughs) Our basketball practice was already at 6.30 in the morning. So that was four months of 6.30 in the morning, riding my bike to school, at, uh, getting up at 6, and everyone knows how much I hate mornings. It was brutal, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that for football. So, yeah, it was basketball lit and basketball only. Well, it worked out okay, I think. So. Yeah, not bad. It worked yeah. out okay for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you would have been a Major League Baseball player. Uh, oh, I know. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't <laughs> okay. have. Not a chance. <laughs> it was funny because John Shea did that article with Steve Kerr, and he pitched for Palisades High, which was in my league down there in L.A., the Western League, and... Uh, he was big time. He was at the championship game at Dodger Stadium. I mean, Steve's a really, really good athlete. Great hand-eye coordination. I mean, we all know what he did on the basketball court. But And, and, and he, it's funny because he's one of the few guys that probably loves sports as much as I do in, in the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of guys. I always ask him, are you guys going to watch the World Series game? Are you guys going to watch football? He goes, no. Nobody on this team watches that. I mean, none of the coaches. He goes, you know, Steph's into sports. Steph's a big-time sports fan. Mm-hmm. And there are others who are, uh, you know, one sport, maybe the other. But he's, he said it's funny. Like, the coaching staff's like, nah, no one cares. No one cares about watching them. I'm like, who doesn't want to watch the World Series? I guess a lot of people don't want to watch yeah. the World Series. So it's funny because when we text and we talk, a lot of times we talk about other sports, not basketball. He has enough people to talk basketball with, so we'll talk about what happened on a college football Saturday or the NFL or their Major League Baseball, and everybody knows he's a huge Dodger fan. Maybe not huge, but a big Dodger fan, so he was rooting for the Dodgers in the World Series, and he was staying up late. It was that one game that was a five-hour game, yeah. and I think they were back east at the time, and I don't think he got to bed till like 3, 3.30, but uh, yeah, I mean, that was just the way it was back then, at least for guys like us. You just grow up playing those sports and watching those sports during the, the, during the seasons they're played. Yeah, and that that gets me to something because, like for my son, it was baseball from January to Thanksgiving, basically. Sometimes you're playing tournaments in December, and it was all baseball. Now, he happened to love baseball. He didn't care about the other sports, but there is so much focus on one sport now. And I'm hearing scouts and coaches now saying, oh, no, play all the sports. Don't get hyper-focused on one thing because – among other things, you're training different muscle groups in different sports. Well, I think you can get burnout. Yeah. And I think, as you said, each sport requires different movements, different uh, mental acuity. They're all different, but they can help build on one another and make you a really good player in maybe your chosen sport by the time you get to be, who knows, a junior or a senior in, in high school if you want to do it that way. But it's so... You know, it's it, it. I always go back to money. Seems to always be the root, always. And you get these scouts that tell you you can be really good if you pay them five hundred dollars a visit or five hundred dollars a month, and, and and you know don't you know, we can get him a college scholarship and 
And he, but he's got to stick with this. He can't do other sports. You get coaches in high school sports now that don't want you to play their sports because they have activities they want you to attend and they want to be as good as they can be. It's like, guys, what are you doing? When you're not, you're not auditioning for the pros here. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the players. I'm talking about the coaches. The coaches take it way, way, way too seriously now, probably even down to freshman level where it, it, it's all about winning instead of, of, of teaching and, and, and letting the kids enjoy the sport and then go on and enjoy another sport. I don't know if, if it's territorial where you just these are my guys and I don't want you to do this. I mean, I've heard stories where they say if you play another sport, you can't play on my team, which is absurd. I mean, you want the best athletes to play mm-hmm. all these different sports. So I just I don't like the way it's going right now. It seems like in every sport, football has their seven-on-seven, seven, which is you know can be year-round. Basketball has all their AAU stuff. That's year-round. Then baseball with their showcases and summer leagues. That's year-round. We're kind of losing the well-rounded athlete. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Before I get to the Giants, there's much pearl clutching about the Warriors. Are they going to be okay? Yes. (laughs) I mean, I could care less where they're at right now. Uh, I mean, look... When they get Draymond back and, and, and DeMarcus Cousins, they're going to have quite possibly the greatest starting five in the history of the in the NBA. I mean, you're talking about a possibly a Hall of Famer at every single position and certainly a top five guy at every single position. And I'm being generous. It could be top three, top two. I'm not sure. But it's going to be an incredible starting lineup. So the, the only way they lose is, 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 I think, injury and, I don't know, bubonic plague i mean that's <laughs> i can't imagine that any 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 i can't imagine somebody look you can beat them but can you beat them four times when it comes to the playoffs unless look demarcus cousins just is an atom bomb and just they like, blows things up there yeah. yeah we wouldn't be completely shocked but <laughs> but he's not making that much money he realizes this is his ticket to big money, mm-hmm. and if he screws it up, he's going to screw up his chance to get that big money more than likely. So i got to think that whatever DeMarcus Cousins' best behavior is, you're going to see it this year. Yeah, it's critical time for him. Other teams in the West might root for bubonic plague, except for it might spread to them. This so it might be, might be self-defeating. <laughs> the Giants are in a crossroads situation right now. What do you think, first of all, about the hiring of Farhan Zaidi? I like him. We had a chance to talk to him uh, shortly after the hire and just seemed like a real sharp guy, personable guy. And the one thing that I liked is the reports that I read that says he's not just an analytics guy. He's a scout guy, too. He likes the scouts. He trusts the scouts. He talks to the scouts. He said he's going to let Bochy do his thing. He's going to handle the front office. Bochy will handle all the on-the-field stuff. There was an assumption that because of the way it played out with the Dodgers that to hear your marching orders, Bochi. This is what you have to do. This is what the bullpen, if this matchup presents itself, this is who you go to. And you just can't do that. I mean, you could tell there were several situations in the World Series where it was almost a script that Dave Roberts had. And this guy was batting. Okay, this guy needs to pitch. This guy's pitching. This guy needs to bat. And you got to, I mean, it's got to be, look. You have to be able to have a game plan. I think everyone does. Like, you prepare for every instance that could happen in the course of a game. You have to be prepared. That's what being a manager is all about. But you also have to have a feel to be able to change stuff up throughout the course of a game based on your eyes. I mean, you've been doing this for a long, long time. So and I so I think I liked, I liked hearing that from him as uh, well. Because, look, it wasn't him calling the shots down there. It was Friedman calling the shots down there. So who knows you know, what the marching orders were for for Roberts. But, no, I mean, it, I, I they needed a new voice. I mean, Sabian... 
has been incredible. I mean, he he helped bring this team three World Series champs. And anytime someone talks about Brian Sabian, they should talk about being a Hall of Fame executive that brought three World Championships to the the Bay Area. I mean, he's been nothing but fantastic. But it's been 20-plus years, so baseball's changing a little bit. It's maybe time for a new voice, a new perspective. Uh, maybe they hung on to the old ways a little bit uh, too long, but hey, what are you gonna do? You know, you win three, you, you you win three World Series. You're trying to win more. That's the way you know how to win it. It just hasn't worked out. So yeah, I think uh, and Bobby Evans too. I think Bobby Evans deserves credit. He gets a lot of the blame, but he was there for that run too of three World Series. But no, I like the hire and I like the fact that they're willing to say, look, take control of this thing. Nothing's off the table. Do what you need to do to make us better. And that may include trading Madison Bumgarner, who, and, and I talked to Eno Saros about this last week, it's, it's not just the track record, it's where he is now. So how much value do you think he brings to the table right now? That's a great question, because I said I would trade him if you could restock the farm system, and I said that last year, knowing that you'd get two years out of him at a reasonable price. I may have uh, overestimated the market then. I don't think you can do that anymore, not with one year left. But I still think because he's only making twelve, thirteen million, I still think you're going to get really good value for him. Now, if you don't get what you want, I don't think you trade him just to trade him. I think you keep him for a year, and it'll be a hell of a motivated Madison Bumgarner going into free agency. And you always have the option of trading him at the trade deadline. I can't imagine there's a pitcher out there that you want pitching a postseason game more than Madison Bumgarner. So that being said, once you get to the trade deadline, you're going to have teams that are going to have a pretty good sense whether they're in the playoffs or not. Then they can start bidding on a guy who is a proven postseason performer. But I don't think you keep him just because he's a giant and he helped you win three World Series. And, and that's another reason to bring in somebody from the outside. They don't have the emotional attachment to some of these guys. I mean, just because you get traded doesn't mean everyone around here doesn't... He'll always be loved around here. And this guy will be a god around here among Giants fans. Uh, and who knows? You know, maybe he gets traded and then comes back. I mean, you can always get traded and come back if you want to. I don't know what the if the, what the possibility of that is. But, yeah, I, I think everybody, everyone should be on the table. The one guy I would have a hard time trading would be Buster. Yeah. He just... He's more than just, I mean, and his numbers aren't even great. They weren't great last year. We'll say he comes back from the hip surgery. And I don't even know what value you'd get for him. But he's like the heart and soul like of the team. Like he, He's the face of the team. And I think he's more than what you see on the field or the numbers. I think he adds more to that clubhouse. And I just see he'd be the one guy that I would look at and go, boy, that'd be, if you trade like anybody else, but if you trade him away, boy, that then that era is gone. Yeah. Well, I don't think you can right now. Because, yeah. uh, you know, he's coming off the surgery and sounds like it's going well, but he's still got $66 million left to pay him over the next three years. He's coming off a bad year for him. He's still out of 2.5 war, and I know how much you love war. Uh, I love war. <laughs> what is it good for, right? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Thank you, Edwin Starr. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, it, there, there's certainly a possibility he comes back, bounces back, has a good year. But he still gives you value at that position, Mm -hmm. more so than just about any catcher in the major leagues. So, you know, with the concussions, with the injuries he's had, you can see him play more games at first base. So that leads to, do they trade Brandon Belt? If you could, if you can get, yeah, I I mean, I think you can trade anybody. And here's the problem, because we've talked about this for a long time with Buster, you know, playing first base, playing more first base. You lose all your value. I mean, you, you just do. 
And everybody's like, well, if he still maybe his numbers go up a little bit, but not enough that would compare him to an even an average first baseman's power numbers. Now at catcher, you get in the value with the the framing the pitches and the way he handles the pitchers and all that stuff. And you're also getting the bat, which a lot of catchers don't have. Again, you take the, let's say an average year frame, it's 285, 15 home runs, maybe an OPS of in the low 800s, something like that. Catcher, that's phenomenal. Yeah. First base, it's not phenomenal. It's no. like, nah, yeah, you're maybe in the middle of the pack there somewhere. So, And he loves to catch. You know, he loves to catch. So I would keep him a catcher as long as he wants to stay a catcher. But Bell, <laughs> it's amazing with this guy because it, it, he's... Like, he's a good player. He's nothing special. But I've never seen, like, the fan reaction for a player that's just kind of just kind of an average player. I mean, either you love him or you hate him. Like, well, I don't know why you either hate him or you love him. I'm not even sure if he should be hated or loved. I mean, I mean, just, he's a decent player. He's I mean, meh. Nah. Yeah, he's like okay. He's like, you know, he's, he's, he's one of the better first basemen. Yeah, I mean, no, he can, he's really good in the field. So he adds value there. He's more probably... A number two hitter than anything else because he, I mean, he gets on base, he has his own strike zone, he's not going to deviate from his own strike zone. The power, which every so often will tease you, like I thought the one year he's going to get like 25, 30 home runs and he gets hurt, and I, I'm not blaming him for that, you can't blame him for getting hurt, but he's just like, he's okay, like he's good, I think he adds value to the team, but at $18 million, I'm not sure if he's adding value to the team at that point. So if you could find somebody, and I think you might be able to get reasonable uh, pieces back for him because I think you look at the numbers, especially the analytics, the metrics on him, they're pretty good. They're they're pretty good. And again, he's really, you know, we've talked about this. You put him in Yankee State in the short right porch and in the glove, and I think there's a guy that can maybe really flourish in, in a place like that. So, But again, anybody and everybody, I mean, it, it just if, if somebody wants him, I'd be willing to listen for him. Yeah, absolutely. And with the, if the Yankees get him, the fans there will be saying what they've been saying for the last five years here. This is the year. He's going to hit those 30 home runs, right? <laughs> it's not his fault all the time. No. He's had injuries. But you know, every year we think it's going to happen. And he got off to a great start last year. and said, yeah, 25, 30 home runs. But nope, not to be. Well, that's okay because if he hits 25, 30 home runs there, everyone here will go, see, I told you so. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I told you so. <laughs> like, they won't be able to leave this guy alone. We'll be talking about Brandon Belt oh, when never. we're 80. Never. 80. It'll be Brandon Bell. I mean, that is that is kind of the uh, he might be the referendum on analytics because everyone that loves analytics loves Brandon Bell, and everyone that hates analytics or uses their eye or looks at the body language or gets mad when he doesn't swing at a ball two inches off the plate when a guy's on second with two outs. Those are the people that can't stand him. But the other people look at the numbers and go, well, the numbers are pretty good. You know, the analytics, the metrics say this guy's a pretty good uh, pretty good baseball player. And he, he, I interviewed him for the first time last year. It was really weird. We never got a chance to talk to him. Yeah. A really neat guy. I, mean, I yes. like him. He's a funny guy. So you want him to succeed. You want him to do well. I just find the whole thing fascinating. I really mm-hmm. do. You get this great divide on Brandon Belt of all people. Not not many I don't know anybody else. There've been great players, there've been bad players, there've been overrated players, but this is a guy who's like I said, he's pretty good, better than average. <laughs> Just people have a passionate take on this guy one way or the other. Yeah, there's some likability there, and I think that, yes. that plays into it. So a couple things real quick. Uh, where do you think Bryce Harper ends up? I don't think there's a snowball's chance he comes to San Francisco, but you know, maybe Farhan's idea has other ideas. We don't know what his ideas are yet. Well, I think what you have to look at with him, and I agree, I don't think he'll be here, but if you pay him a ton of money, 
and you give it to him for an extended period of time, you're not getting a guy that's 31, 32. You're getting a guy that's 26. So let's say you even sign him to a 10-year contract. He's 36 at the end of the contract. It's not 41 or 42 at the end of the contract. So I think you could reasonably expect when you sign a guy at 26 to a 10-year deal that you might get eight, nine, maybe even 10 good years out of that deal. I think when you sign a guy who's older... Pujols. Thank you for reminding me of that. I'm going to vomit right into your microphone. But even at that, you're thinking, okay, if we can get seven years of good baseball, yeah, we'll eat the last three. Well, unfortunately, they got about three and a half. Then you're really stuck. you got six years, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, we've still got six years of this. That's like someone going to college and starting grad school. Maybe even finishing grad school at the time. That could, I don't even want to think about it. Uh, but I'll, another couple of things, because it would remind me a little bit of the Jason Worth contract when he signed it with Washington. Everybody's like, what are these guys doing? If I remember correctly, it's like seven for 115 or somewhere around there. Yeah. So it, maybe it was an overpay. But three years later, it was pretty reasonable. And they weren't ready to win then. But they started adding pieces, and he was one of the – maybe he wasn't even one of the better players when they started winning, but you could tell, again, he was like kind of a heartbeat of the team type guy. I don't know if Harper's that, but I, I would say this. At 26, if you can get Harper like like Harper now for eight years – okay, let's say year three. Now that deal, which is probably going to be $30, $35 million a year, I bet you in four years from now, there are going to be quite a few guys that are making $30 million a year, maybe even 35 So you're thinking, okay, we still have one of the best players in the game, and now it doesn't look as ridiculous as maybe it looked three years ago. So the salary cap goes up a little bit, or the salary ceiling goes up a little bit. You can start adding some more pieces. You already have a center piece guy. Then you start adding pieces around him. Maybe uh, you know Bart's going to be a player. They're going to get some high draft picks this year. Then maybe you start building around him. So if, if they were to sign a guy like Harper... I wouldn't say, okay, it's for this year, we got to win now. I would think this is going to be our star. He's going to be our star for 10 years. Let's start setting the, the table and making sure in three years he's going to be the centerpiece, but then we're able to put people around him. And again, I don't think that contract's going to look so outlandish. I remember when uh, A-Rod signed that deal, and then uh, after a while, even though I think it was the highest, he was the highest-paid player for a while, you still looked at it at about three, four years ago. All right, you know, there's a lot of guys making that type of money now, so it doesn't look so ridiculous. It would have been less ridiculous if they put him at shortstop, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> they had they had a guy there yeah, who wasn't even the best shortstop on his team, but he was yes. he was Derek Damn Cheater. <laughs> anyway, if the Angels are not in contention yes. next year, do they lose Trout? Oh boy, it's funny because me and my buddy, who's a huge Angel fan, we talked about this like last year. Like, should they trade Trout? And as much as we love watching Trout, and I watch a lot of Angel games, I mean, the guy is phenomenal. I mean, he just really is. And it'd be so much, it'd be super cool to see him retire at Angel, Hall of Fame as an Angel, all that stuff. So we started debating back and forth. Would you rather have Trout retire an Angel, be a Hall of Famer, and let's say he wins one playoff series, or would you rather trade him, get some players back, have Trout go somewhere else, be in the Hall of Fame as maybe another team, and make the playoffs three or four times the next seven or eight years. I would rather make the playoffs. As much as I love watching Trout, I could watch Trout you know, for another team if I want to, but I'd like to see them get back to, to making the playoffs. Now, I don't know if you'll ever get value for that guy. I don't know how many pieces you'd need to get to get value for him because he's just so good. But, I mean, 
you you see it in baseball all the time. Just because you're a great player doesn't mean you could impact the game like you can in in basketball right. or even football, who has you know more players. But if you have a great quarterback, you're going to have a chance. I mean, Trout is Trout's great, best player in the game over the last seven years, and it's not. I don't even think it's close. And they have zero playoff wins. They made the playoffs one time, got swept by the Royals, and now that's it. So I mean, it, so what do you do when the Giants signed Bonds? You know, that was a big contract back at the time, but they had guys around him. Like, they had a team, and then he just came in, and it was like, boom, we're ready, we're ready to go. But I, I, I don't know. I know the, the stuff I've been reading, they said that was their number one priority this offseason to sign this guy to an extension. And if you're Trout, you're sitting back thinking, let me see what Machado and Harper get, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to want more, mm-hmm. and he's going to get more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it could be, you know, it could be 10 years, $400 million maybe they, they, they give so him. Yeah. And you start thinking about it, and you look at the contracts that Steph just signed and uh, Harden signed and Chris Paul. These guys are making 35 40 even some of them a little over $40 million a year. So it's not ridiculous to think Trout's going to get $40 million a year. You just got to figure out, okay, how do we, you know, how do we surround him with talent? It's, it's yeah. not so much the money. It's the percentage of the cap it takes up, and then what are you allotted to, to fill in the rest of your roster? If you already have good players, like young players coming up, and that's why – the minor league system is so important nowadays because you have to have at least two or three guys in your team that don't make a lot that are providing, if not an impact, a a regular contribution to the team. The Dodgers do that. I mean, you look at the Dodgers and they got guys on their team. You're like, well, that guy doesn't make nothing. That guy, that guy makes nothing. That guy makes nothing. And you can go out and afford to you know to sign some guys. So I think with the uh, the Angels, yeah, would I like to see him stay there? Yeah, it'd, it'd be great. But it'd, more so than anything, I'd like to see him back in the playoffs. I need to see that guy on the big stage in the postseason, yep. and I'm sure a lot. Of, it'd be great for baseball as a whole if he could. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll see what happens yep. with that. I know you've got uh, Christmas duties here because it's that time <laughs> of the year. It's busting out all over, and I mean that literally. So uh, I'll let you go. But thanks for joining us today. Anytime, right? Yeah. Anytime you need me, you want to do it around the playoffs or something like that. If, if the Warriors make the playoffs of course uh we can it's do 50 50 yeah. i don't know i don't know i don't know if they're gonna i mean they've lost six in a row on the road i mean with half their team gone but you know it's 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 a leaner well put me down a pencil then okay put me down a pencil <laughs> <laughs> sounds good tom tolbert joining us on triple's alley report well, i'll say one thing about tom's baseball career he went yard at AT&T Park. Remember that uh, take a cut challenge years back? So I don't know how many people can say that. So thanks to Tom for joining us and for not vomiting into the microphone when I mentioned Albert Pujols. Hey, check out the newest and best podcast on the Warriors, Light Years. In fact, Sam and Andy have a new one fresh off the grill. Tom Tolbert says the Warriors are going to be okay. In the meantime, soak in the drama. Sam and Andy answer your questions in the uh, latest edition. And in fact, I think I might steal that idea. If you're going to steal an idea, steal a good one. So maybe next week I will answer your questions via Twitter at RayWoodson925 for our latest edition of Triple's Alley Report. And it will be while the winter meetings are happening in Las Vegas. Henry Shulman of the Chronicle reports Derek Holland is talking with teams about potential multi-year deals. Now that was one of the few bright spots for the Giants in 2018, aside from his appearance on MLB.com or MLB Network. I'm not sure I do a multi-year with Holland, maybe a year and an option. You know, it's possible we saw the best season we're going to see out of him, but he did make some real improvements this year working with pitching coach Kurt Young. So this may continue for a couple more years. He was a bargain this year. He won't be so much of a bargain in 2019, but still could be a useful back-end-of-the-rotation guy 
Again, it comes down to exactly what the dollars are going to be. Hunter Pence working on a new swing, headed to the Dominican Republic for winter ball this week, hoping to latch on with a major league team next year. He's worked with swing coach Doug Latta, who helped Justin Turner and Mac Williamson, among others. Remember the 2012 deal that brought Pence from Philadelphia? Nate Shearholz, Seth Rosen, Tommy Joseph. Shearholz is out of professional baseball. Rosen's a pitcher who did not play in 2018. Joseph, the catching prospect, did have a couple of 20-homer seasons with the Phillies. Did uh, play for a couple of seasons in the major leagues, but concussions kind of cut short his ability to catch. He can no longer play at that position, and he signed a deal to play in South Korea next season. But he's just 27. I hope he makes it back to the major leagues. And here's hoping Hunter Pence returns to the major leagues in 2019. And I'd say he's one of the best Giants trades this decade. Speaking of trades, last week John Morosi reported the Braves and Phillies were among the teams who started a dialogue with the Giants about Madison Bumgarner. This week, ESPN's Buster only reports some evaluators who've been in contact with the Giants do not think they will seriously weigh offers for him. So you got one report one week, another the next week. The truth is probably somewhere in between, and it all comes down to what is offered. Farhan Saidi could say, nobody's knocking my socks off, so I'll keep this above-average pitcher at a pretty good price. Although his numbers are trending down, and that includes a rather alarming career-high 41.6% hard contact rate last year, plus a road ERA of almost 5. He could continue to trend downward toward the July 31st trade deadline and have uh, less value, and that's a risk. And the team could be in no man's land between buying and selling, and that's the worst-case scenario. Or he could enter 2019 healthy and highly motivated and bounce back at the age of 29. It's a 50-50. Again, it all comes down to who offers what. One other note, former President George H.W. Bush died a few days ago at the age of 94, a huge baseball fan, setting aside the debate about his political life. Very few people alive in 2018 could say they have met Babe Ruth. Bush was captain of the Yale baseball team in 1948 when Ruth, who was dying of cancer, presented him with the original manuscript of his autobiography as a gift to the school. And Bush recalled the memorable moment as being tragic because Ruth was so gaunt and he would be dead four months later. Bush was making baseball history of his own at the time, leading Yale to the first two College World Series ever played in 1947 and 1948, losing to Cal in 47 as Jackie Jensen hit a long home run. Jensen would later have a nice career with the Red Sox and then losing to USC runners-up in 1948. Bush played one game in 1947 against Fordham, which had a center fielder named Vin Scully. He was not a great hitter, but a good fielder who kept his first baseman's mitt in a drawer in the Oval Office when he was president. And Bush is credited with being the first president to throw out a ceremonial first pitch from the pitcher's mound in 1989. That's how you do it. That's how I did it when I threw out a pitch at a Giants game. I had to tow the rubber. I couldn't walk off that mound with any kind of pride unless I towed the rubber. Didn't work out so well for me. It was a changeup in the dirt that Eli Whiteside scooped out. A Giants hitter at the time would have swung at it, but I had to tow the rubber. As vice president, Bush got a hit against Milt Pappas in an old-timers game in Denver at the age of 60. And then, playing first base in that same game later on, made a diving stop on a hard grounder by Orlando Cepeda. Got him out. The Tigers followed up with a one-day contract for $1. His son, George W., of course, was managing general partner of the Rangers from 1989 to 1998. He threw out uh, his last ceremonial first pitch, actually accompanying his son during a ceremonial first pitch before Game 5 of the 2017 World Series 
in Houston. His former spokesman Marlon Fitzwater said as far as hobbies, as far as pastimes, for Bush, baseball was always first. That's Triple's Alley Report. I'm Ray Woodson. We'll talk to you next week.